Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the Message Trust. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing, check out our website, message.org.uk. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tom. Um, I'm not offended at all. Uh, I'm the prodigal son come back again from the wilderness to eat the fatted ox my mother prepares for us regularly. But my brother's very gracious about this. He doesn't get grumpy like the guy in the story. And we have family gatherings ever so often. Um, uh, You will gather in a minute that your worship leader and I were up well before dawn uh, preparing this uh, occasion because uh, one of the songs we sang ties in very, very well with what I want to share with you, which is just something um, that, that I've been working through myself, which I don't know whether you'll find helpful. It's about giving. We sang um, just then, I give my life, I give it all to be consecrated. And we all sang that, I think. And um, I'm not going to try to persuade you to do it because I'm going to assume that most of you essentially have done that. And I know a lot of people here have sacrificed a great deal for God's kingdom and for mission. Um, I'm going to give, take that as a given. And that we all agree that giving in, in all its aspects is, is a, a really good thing. It's something that pleases God. It's at the heart of what we do as Christian people in all sorts of ways. Something I've realised is that actually giving is as profound and as true as those words we just sang, but it's actually much more complicated and much more difficult than actually it might sound like. All you do is just give up your life and you can just give it all up and it's simple. I don't think it's simple at all. I do not think giving is simple. And I'd like to share two things with you. I'm going to allow myself 25 minutes. I'm going to take my watch off, if I can put it there. If I'm going after 25 minutes, you can look at your watch and tell me to shut up, please. But um, um, I want to share two things. They might seem contradictory. And at a surface level, I guess they are. But you're all grown-ups, and I hope understand that an awful lot of Christian truth seems to be, you know, justice and mercy and service and freedom... These are things that at first look like they're contradictions. How do you hold these two things together? And I want to share two types of things about giving, um, which sound like, well, is he saying two contradictory things? I think I'm saying something which which can be held in a sort of glorious tension as we try to get right this idea of giving. What I think is that giving is one of those subjects you hear a lot about in worship, and you hear a lot about by people trying to get your money off you or, your, or, or more of your time and energy to give to the church or to the, to the message or whoever it is. Um, but what you hear surprisingly little about is how to do that. You could go to your average Christian bookshop and find a lot of books about prayer. Some of them sort of spiritual devotional. Some of them more how to do it, how to organise your prayer life and facing all the challenges of prayer and what to do when your prayers aren't answered and all that stuff. You'll find the same about how to study the Bible. What you won't find, that I don't know of anyway, is a good book facing the sorts of problems we face if we try to be givers. Giving is one of the things God invented. He does that and he's very, very good at it. We are not. We're really rather bad at it in all sorts of ways. 
And so the first half of my talk is actually sharing 10 ways in which I'm very bad at giving. It's 10, 10 aspects of a problem, if you like. I don't know whether you identify with these or not, but each one will just take me a few seconds. It's 10 little cameos from my life trying to give and receive. And the first one is from about 1961, when I was about seven years old. And at that time, my great-granddad, my, my mother Christine's grandfather was still alive. He was a very old man. He was a very big man. He was a, an ex-Yorkshire miner. And that kind of 19th century, hard-bitten, hard-life sort of character. And he wore a he always wore a waistcoat. And in his waistcoat... He had a, an old-fashioned pocket watch on a chain in this pocket. He had his loose change in here. And we used to go, occasionally go and visit the man we call Grandad K, not to get him muddled by the, with the younger granddads, and, um, who, when I think about it now, were all younger than I am now, which is a bit scary. But Grandad K was very, very old. And, uh, and, and he was very different from us, because we were like first-generation uh, middle class. We'd gone to Heald Green and bought a nice little house as a family, and... And we did that middle class thing. And one thing I'd learned, you know, kids try out things. One thing I'd learned was a little phrase when people gave you things. And one day we went to see Grand Cade's tiny little house in Wakefield in Yorkshire. And uh, he put his hand in his waistcoat pockets and he gave me sixpence, a little old fashioned coin. A few of you might remember, uh, which is well worth having when you're seven years old in 1961. And you know what I said? I said, Oh, Grandad, you shouldn't. What a stupid thing to say. I said, Oh, Grandad, you shouldn't. And you know what Grandad K said? He said, Oh, right, then I won't then. And he took back the six and put it back in his waistcoat. And at that moment, very young, I learnt a really important lesson about giving, which I have to say, my lovely wife, who's here, hasn't ever grasped as quickly as, and as well as I have many years later. But it's to one of these things, which I do think I've learnt. It is this. Don't reject other people's giving. Don't ever say to people, oh, you shouldn't. There's a more naff modern phrase. Oh, you are naughty for giving me this thing. No, the person who's giving you the thing is not naughty. <laughs> She's being good. He's being like Jesus. He's giving you something. Don't resist giving okay because actually it's, a, it's just a naff silly habit I'm going to move on after just a few years I became a Christian uh, as, as a 14 year old on, on an ISCF camp uh, and as a very young Christian uh, I, I used to like to ride my bike out into the well, I lived in Heald Green I used to ride my bike out into the Cheshire countryside on my own and uh, one day I can't remember the date but it was about 1968 so I'm 14, 15, and, and I, I went into a church in a remote village. I don't know where it was. And I went in the church. It was quiet and peaceful in the church, and I prayed. And as I came out, there was the offertory box like churches have. You might like to give an offer, offering. And I suddenly I thought I ought to give an offering. And I had another coin with me of that age. I had half a crown which those of you of riper years will know was really, you know, a coin worth having. It was enough to buy a nice drink and an ice cream on a bike ride in 1968. And I thought, oh, I ought, to, I ought to put the half a crown into the collection box. And after a bit of a tussle, I did. And you know what happened? Nothing. God did not come down and say thank you. 
nice members of the congregation did not emerge from behind the pillars saying, well done, what a good lad you are. And I felt not good or blessed or happy or anything like that. I just felt rather, oh, now I can't have an ice cream and a nice drink on the way home. And that's not how you're supposed to feel when you're given. And I don't think that's what giving is supposed to be like. I don't think I was wrong to put the half a crown in the collection box all those years ago. But I do think there's a lot more to giving than a sense of dutifully, I ought to give this thing that I actually want to keep for me and give it away. Uh, it's just years later, but years ago, I came across this verse, which reminded me of that experience in the church somewhere out there in the country. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves people being cheerful about giving. There's no measure there. There's not how much or what you're giving, but God loves a cheerful giver. And so I think I was along the right track and I was working out my heart and soul and theology of giving at that time as a very young man, but um, I didn't quite make it to being cheerful. Some years later, I was at college um, where um, our, our pastor at that time was a man called Les Hill. And occasionally I, I've been asked, Who, who's the most wonderful Christian you, you've ever known? And there's a list. And, and definitely Les Hill is on the short list. He was a lovely, godly, delightful man. And one day in about 1974, I went to see Les Hill in his house about something. I don't remember what. Um, but I should tell you that Les was, as well as the pastor of a complicated, difficult church, the headmaster of a special school for disturbed, maladjusted children. And his home was full of foreign students who lived there on a, some sort of basis I never really understood. But it was always full of people. And, and so he was one of these hyper-busy, hyper-driven man of action in the Christian world in Brighton in, in the 70s type of people. And I went to see Les, slightly sort of, oh gosh, I wonder if he can allow the time. And something happened which almost you would say if you weren't a Christian was magic. And I went into his little living room and I sat down. I can very clearly see him now, sitting, he's a big fat man, sitting in an armchair looking at me and giving me his full and total attention as he listened to what I wanted to say. And suddenly time stopped happening. No phones went off. Les didn't look at his watch. There's no sense of, I've got to get to the next meeting in a minute, or, or, or who is this young man who's taking my time? He gave me himself and all his attention at that point. Eye contact, listening ear, something very quiet in the room. I don't know if it was quiet, but it felt quiet. I imagine that that's what it was like when you're in a crowd, you say the woman who was, you know, had the horrible bleeding or, 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 the, or the guy lying by the pool. I imagine that's what happened when Jesus turned his attention on somebody else. He gave himself to them unconditionally, with utter focus and absolute care and compassion. He gave to them. We really are tapping into the words from the song there, aren't we? I give my life, I give it all. 
We're not, not in a calculated way. Not in a, I can fit you in 10 minutes, actually. I'll just pencil you in for next Tuesday, but actually, oh, I better not commit because, I, you know, none of that. And it's something that's got harder to do as the years have gone by and everybody's got more and more busy. But I believe we need to think about giving ourselves in that sort of way that I think if we study the New Testament, we find that Jesus did give himself to individual people in relationship. Next thing. I got married in 1976. And we were, Sue and I were students and uh, we didn't have much really. We moved into a flat in Telford where I got a job. And um, a very kind person gave us a lot of furniture he didn't want that he had in a store for our flat. Really nice stuff. We still got some of it. But this person said to me, as he handed it over, you can take this stuff, but it's on permanent loan. I want you to insure it and look after it. Uh, I'm not giving it to you. It's on permanent loan. And that kind of confused me at the time. And, and actually, as I say, it was, it was a gift and, it, and, and the years went by and <laughs> we've still got the stuff. But, uh, but somehow, somehow the edge was taken off that gift. And I'm not blaming that person right now because what I'm doing is confessing that sometimes, I've never used that phrase, I don't think, but sometimes in my soul, in my sort of attitude to what I'm doing, I think I've said to God, okay, I'll give you that time, but actually there are these, condition, there are these conditions. And I, at that point, I resolved, I'm going to try very hard not to do that. Because I don't think giving is the same as lending. And I don't think giving is the same as investing in somebody's life. I think actually parents and children can be guilty of this sometimes. You know, if you, to, to, it's fine to invest in people, you know, to pay for your child student loan on the understanding it, it's a sort of business commitment. That's fine. And to lend money, if that's the deal, is okay. But if you're giving, what you're doing is you are giving it away. It's gone. It's none of your business anymore. If I give you my car, which is not, I'm not intending to do today, but if I do, if I do, it's yours. You can smash it up. You can drive it off a cliff. You can sell it and spend the money on drugs. It's none of my... None of my business. It's between you and your maker and, your, and the people with whom you're in relationship. I have given it up. Jesus gave Billy Graham wonderful gifts of, of, of preaching and oratory. He gave very similar gifts to Adolf Hitler. And when Adolf Hitler foully abused the gifts God had given him, he wasn't struck dumb by God. He was, given, he was allowed to abuse those gifts for evil that I guess he'd been given actually as a gift from God. So, gifts are gifts. Next thing, moving on. In the late 80s, early 90s, uh, Sue and I sponsored a compassion child. I bet a lot of you do that. I know the message sponsors them as a sort of organisation. There's a big relationship between the message and compassion. And the, the compassion model isn't perfect, but it, it's hugely better than the not being that thing there. It's a really good thing to do to sponsor a compassion child. And um, we sponsored this little girl and uh, it worked fine. And you, you know the deal, you pay, you pay the money by direct debit and then you write the letters and the letters come back and you send little presents and all this. At a certain point in that relationship, and I use a relationship, something got lost. And uh, 
I think we moved house, actually, and I don't think we told Compassion we'd moved house. And we stopped communicating with this little girl. And years went by, years of my busy life. And, um, and the money carried on going out of the bank because, of course, it's by direct debit, plonk, 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 and so Compassion took the money and spent it. And, um, but we lost contact with that child. And one day, uh, uh, relevant to this, I, I, I came across this verse. If I give all I possessed to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now, I think that's being a bit harsh about our, our relationship with this little girl because I think we really did intend, and she did carry on getting the money and we did intend to bless her, but something sad was lost when the relationship ended. And actually, years later, I realised that this kid, who, who I got the pitch, still got the picture of, this little girl, she was sort of 18, and, you know, and we'd lost that opportunity to build relationship. And that's very sad, because I think giving needs to be in relationship. And I think it's a mistake to think you can just hand over money or hand over time and not grow relationship. Life moved on. We were, went into overseas mission. Around the turn of the 20th, 21st century, we found ourselves in South India where there are incredible numbers of beggars. And the scripture says, what does it say about beggars? Always give to beggars. It's a tricky verse to interpret literally because if you live in India and you always give to beggars, you do nothing else and you're very soon bankrupted. And you have to somehow find a way of saying, yeah, okay, Lord, my heart's always in this business of wanting to share with beggars and do, do something, but you can't always give. It doesn't mean always give how much. You know, it's, it's really hard to work out how much should you give. And that is a, a you know, genuine giving issue, isn't it? And I know it's a giving issue even in, in the UK, where I'm sure some of you work with people in real poverty and really struggle when you've got money. How much should you give? Um, one day... Uh, we were walking through Pondicherry, the city near where we lived. And there used to be a, <clears throat> a guy who sat on the pavement here. And, he, and one of my ways of dealing with this always give to beggars, there are thousands of them, how do you do it? was try to grow relationship, little relationships with the people to whom we would give. Was, this, this man was crippled. He couldn't walk. And he sat in the dirt here by the side of the road. And I would tend to walk past and you have a pocket here and you pull out 10 rupees or something and give it to him and try to catch his eye and smile as well. So there's a bit of human contact, you know, just throwing it down in the dirt. Anyway, one day I went past this guy. It's very hot, hassly, crowded Indian city. And I went along the pavement, and there he was, and I, oh, hi. Gave him the tender, we moved on. And he came shuffling along behind me, shouting, boss, boss, he said, boss, boss, which is a bit disturbing, they call you boss. Anyway, he did. And I thought in my hot hassled, used to being hassled by beggars as you, are, as you are when you live in India, where I thought, oh, for goodness sake, he's asking for more money, you know. What must and I turned around, slightly short and snappish, and there was the man down here, because he can't walk, holding up all the money I'd had in my pocket to go shopping. Maybe 50 quid, you know. I'd given him 20p, I'd, and I'd actually somehow caught all my money. It had dropped out. And this homeless, impoverished guy had seen the money fall in the dirt. His choices were take it, put it in his pocket and say nothing. I'd have never have known. And I could have afforded it. Instead, he came as fast as he could, which is very slowly, chasing me down the pavement, holding it up. 
How do you deal with that in terms of Christian relationship, trying to understand the theology of giving? How do you deal with it? You can ask me afterwards if you want to know what I actually did and whether, whether I got it right, I don't know. Life moved on and we found ourselves in uh, South Sudan. The toughest place we've ever lived. Very, very poor. Actual people, people going hungry in the village where we lived. We had a housekeeper who used to cook for us. And we lived in this compound in a sort of tin room in a tin building. And, and there was this shelter where this lady called Rebecca would cook. And uh, that was okay. But there really wasn't very much to eat. And she would go to the market every day with the money we gave her and buy whatever there was. And she'd say, today's there's beans. And we had beans and uh, or there weren't beans and there was something else, some little vegetables chopped up or something. A problem became that we were actually the only people in that neighbourhood with so much money. We're the only white people around. And, and so what happened would be we'd feed us and Rebecca, of course, and Rebecca's daughter and the guy on the gate. Oh, and his wife and, as well. And, oh, what about the guy delivering this? Uh, and more and more people would come and share the food until really there wasn't enough to eat. And... We, got, we really did. We didn't starve or anything. We always had in our pockets what I call the beam me up Scotty card. You know, there's a credit card and the insurance, but you can get out of there in the end. But we did get thin and it was very tough. But the problem was we were giving every day and we weren't really receiving because nobody, nobody in our organisation and in our team and in the sort of whole strategic thinking through the thing had worked out how to resource what we were doing in such a way that the giving could be replenished. Because there's no, there's no pretending that giving doesn't take away from there the place where you've given it. You need somebody, either God or human beings, to put back in what you're giving. Otherwise, you will get thinner and thinner and burn out and ultimately you will die if you go on giving without receiving. Not all Christians seem to get that. They go on giving. Uh, uh, not, not, mostly not of their money and their food, because most of us aren't in that tight place, most of us. We haven't been most of our lives. But in all sorts of ways, I've known Christians who go on giving, as it were in their lives, like, like us providing food for half the village when we just haven't got it. But they don't look at how do I how do I. How do I receive? What are the ways in which I'm replenishing the larder, whether it's the literal one or the spiritual one? Sometime later still, we found ourselves in Bangladesh, running a school for mission kids. So most of them were sort of expatriate. There wasn't a poverty issue in our school. But we did get involved in various projects. And uh, there was one really good project where they, where they were running a school for very poor children. And we put money into this school. And we'd give the money to the guy every month and he'd come and take the money and we'd pray with him but uh, he was always asking for more money he always wanted more and I, so I, I didn't want to give him any more I, we weren't on a very high salary and it didn't seem right to give him any more so what I do is persuade other teachers in the school to give him money and uh, this money went to a school and also there was a project involving women uh, hatching chickens and it, and it was all good stuff but one day we went to this guy's house. And by the way, the money was also paying his salary. 
which is interesting. Um, one day we went to the man's house and he told us about how he'd managed to get his daughter into a university in Europe. And I thought, oh, well, hang on a minute. And I sort of did a little tussle in myself about the money I was giving him and thinking, he's never really quite accounted to me for how the money has been spent. And do I know that the money I'm getting, persuading my colleagues to, to give me, to give to him every month, is actually going to the very poor children? Or is it going to pay for his privileged daughter's university fees? And it was not clear. And it was really difficult. And things like that happen when you give. It's a serious problem if you're in the developing world where you've always got so much more money than most of the people around you. And you're supposed to be the Christian trying to be like Jesus. During our time overseas, Sue's mother died. Lovely Christian lady, lived in England all her life, owned a house. And ne never, actually, she, she'd have been quite happy living very, very simply. But she owned a house in the south of England and it was sold. And Sue and her sister inherited this house. And suddenly, living overseas it, amongst terribly poor people, we were dealing with very large sums of money back here, which Sue and I had inherited. How do you deal with that? We had two children in mission. You'll know, all know Matty, I think. Most many of you will know Matty, my son, uh, who, who was at that time, I don't know what he's doing, he didn't have any money anyway, that's for sure. And, uh, and, uh, and we had, he has a sister who I try to treat the same, in we try to treat the same in terms of, you know, TLC and all that, which is, and giving, which is never possible. And she's also in mission. And uh, we were in mission too. And there's all this, this very lot, but in my terms, very large amount of money sitting there in bank accounts in England. How as a Christian do you deal with that when you're exposed, whether you're in Bangladesh or you're in Charleston, frankly, or in the Eden Project some of you are in, how do you deal with the fact that you've got this great fat load of money? You don't really need it all. How much should you give away? What should you do with that money? And finally, I come to my final illustration, my 10th one, is this. My mother, who's sitting here, was 85 on Sunday. And a, a, few, a few weeks ago, her extended family, many of whom, again, you know, started to sort of exchange by phone and email. What are we going to do? What are we going to get mum for a birthday? And somebody, maybe Michelle, actually, had the idea, well, we could all get together and get her something really nice. This is, you know, 15 or 16 affluent descendants, you know, so I mean, earning good salaries. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. So I said to mum, mum, what do you want for your birthday? Because, you know, with King, we'll all get together and buy something really nice. So mum goes, oh, uh, oh, I'd like a new water jug. Oh, great. <laughs> so anyway, the point is, fortunately, the family gathered its wits in, in enough time to realise that what my mum, what my mum, like most godly 85-year-old women, want in material terms is very, very little indeed. And they have to scratch their heads to think, oh, I'll have a water jug. She doesn't really want one anyway. What they want is what most of us want, but we're all much too busy to recognise it as well as older people, perhaps. What she wants is to be surrounded by her loving family. And we managed to give her that, I think. And, and uh, the point is about that aspect of giving very easily... It's easy to be drawn into the world's ideas of giving, that it's about material things. What do you want for your birthday? I'd like to have some of your time, please, and a little bit more of your love is a sort of embarrassing thing to say, even for Christians. But maybe we should. Maybe we should say that. 
there's an awful lot of children who, uh, who um, I think find themselves on Christmas Day playing in a lonely way with their train set or their uh, remote control toy. Well, actually what they want is their dad to play with them. Doesn't care what the toy is, really. It can be a cardboard box, but what they want is... And now, there's 10 problems. I've just run out of time. So I want to share with you also the contradictory thing. I think giving is really hard, and I think giving is something that the church and, and organisations like you guys should think about much more and study much more and practice much more and share experience of much more and learn from mistakes with much more than we do. Because I think giving is one of those God things. And because it's one of those God things, the enemy will try and spoil it. And it is very, very easily spoilt. So let's treasure it and let's cherish it. Because here's the thing. That would seem to suggest that I'm now going to go on to say, if I had another half an hour, I'm going to go on to talk about, oh, schemes for tithing and ways of avoiding being ripped off in the developing world and all this stuff. But I'm not. Because what I believe is this. The key things to understand about giving are these. Giving is huge fun. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And he's right, not just as a holy man, just as a common sense observation, what fun giving is, as opposed to just getting stuff. Secondly, giving is good God loves it. Giving is what Jesus does. God is an exuberantly generous giver and he wants us to be like that. The illustrations in the scripture are very clear. You know the story of the girl who, the woman with the, with the, the bottle of ointment and she pours it all over Jesus' feet and the ordinary guys around say, oh, what a stupid idea, we could have sold that and divided it up and used it in the budget. No. What she's done is exactly the right, instinctive, irrational, loving, devoted thing. When the uh, prodigal father, the prodigal father, when the son of the prodigal father of the prodigal son sees the son, he doesn't do a calculation. He doesn't think, well, I've got two sons better. He rushes out with great joy and he says without thinking, kill the fatted calf, let's celebrate. I'm going to give to the, the man I love. He's my son. And Romans chapter 8, 32 says, he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? God loves giving. He understands what marvellous fun it is. But notice that he didn't just send his son. He gave him up. He gave his son up for us all. He didn't say, I can have him for 33 years and I want him back, please, preferably without holes in his hands and his feet. He didn't say that. And that's not what he got. In eternal terms, a gift was given with appalling costs we can't understand by God himself. He's our exemplar as someone who gives. Now, all that isn't an answer to the problem of giving and the challenge of giving. And, it, and uh, what it does, I hope, is makes you think, crikey, there's a lot here. And actually there's an awful lot, I think, the church hasn't talked about enough. Because I think it's an exciting challenge to give better in all sorts of ways. Uh, and I'm just going to end with one other thing. Uh, Sue and I, as I say, inherited 
lot of money. And we're Christian people in mission. We didn't really want to own uh, a big property in England. We, we were quite happy doing what we were doing. But to cut a long story down to nothing, really, this money we inherited enabled us to buy a house. And I'm hoping someone will press a button and that'll appear. When we came back from 15 years in overseas mission, we found ourselves with this very large house we never expected to own. It's called Arboyne House, and you can read about it on the screen there. And we would hate to live there on our own, wandering around this very large place and the beautiful garden. It's not interesting. It's not that we're godly people. It's not that we, um, you know, we think we're really holy and we ought to do our duty. It is simply, it's so much more fun to own a place which actually you've given to God and you want to share with other people. So the way we run this place is as a ministry, half of the time, actually we let it out to people who pay to stay, just anybody who wants to come. But also we want to offer it and we're more interested really in offering it to those serving in Christian mission and ministry in the widest sense, which of course means you guys. And as for how much we charge for that, we don't really ask any questions. It's on a what can you afford kind of basis. And if you want to just come for a holiday, that's fine. If you want to talk anything through uh, or share and pray, that's also fine. And, uh, and we really do want, not ought, we want to keep giving this place back to the Lord. I really don't want to own it. Please don't make it my responsibility because it might fall down. But chances are, if you're staying there for those few days, it won't be then that it falls down, although it is quite old and creaky. But you are really welcome, all of you, to come and stay at Arboyne House. The website is arboyneministries.co.uk and you can have another look at that if you like uh, later. But I would really encourage you to celebrate the exciting tension of the fact that giving is really much harder than anybody admits and recognises. And secondly, giving is much, much more fun, a much merrier thing to do. And by doing it, we please God and we become, I think, more like him. So I'd like to pray briefly, if I may. Loving God, I thank you that the dear people in this room have given their lives to you. I thank you that they have offered everything they have uh, in your service and, and instead of doing lots of other much more... Um, um, think things which will earn much more money and, and give them more kudos and so on. I just pray that you'll bless that by giving them not wealth, not even health and strength, but joy in their hearts and a sense that they are serving you and loved by you and close to you today and walking in your will. May each of these dear people walk in your will today as you give them all they need. For Jesus' sake, amen. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support or even get involved with one of our teams.